I, I think that's the challenge of our time is that you, there are ways to not be lonely, but all of those ways to not be lonely have a very high cost to them. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Cameron, I remember 10 years ago, back in 2013, I was running around up in New England, and somebody asked me, what do you think will be the biggest question of the future? So at that time, the New Atheists were still kicking around. Um, There's a little, bit of a, a little bit of a blurp in uh, questions about Islam. ISIS was, yeah, getting kicked off still. Um, it was about to, in that time frame, was developing. And people said, what are the biggest apologetics questions? And I said, the biggest apologetic question of the future will deal with loneliness. And I think 10 years later, I can say wow. that that actually unfortunately turned out to be pretty much true. Yeah. Um, I, I see it everywhere. I just was watching a New York Times opinion video thing on loneliness. I just finished reading a series of essays uh, by um, – Alan Salido called the loneliness of the long distance runner. Um, but yeah, once you start thinking about loneliness, you hear this referred to in other podcasts, academics are talking about this. There's the joke now that if you know, you want to go into academic research, um, there's all kinds of grant money for loneliness studies and everybody recognizes that it's a real thing. Uh, there's variation on the causes for it. Not a whole lot of clarity on what the solutions are. and yeah, I, th I think we could f use the word epidemic. An epidemic, we live in a time where there's an epidemic of loneliness. Um, so is this just me being pessimistic or do you also see these trends in the world around us? Well, for sure. But I'm curious, Nathan, in your in your studies of this topic, what are some of the causes that are proposed by you know, some of the, the people who study these trends, academics or social scientists? I mean, what are, what are I'm just, I wanna hear some of those speculations. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a couple, I mean, some of these are standard. So an over-focus on career. So you, you, you burrow down through your 20s and early 30s um, and just focus on your career. And so then you don't develop a lot of uh, friendships. The, the overall breakdown of family structure, um, very low percentage, much lower percentage of people being married now or staying in stable relationships, highly transient lifestyles, moving to different cities for different things frequently. Right. Um, then you have the whole... Um, Jonathan Haidt exploration of the impact of social media on connecting people, but connecting them more shallowly. So we're more connected to more people, but at a more shallow level. And that leads to chronic loneliness, or we have projected images of ourselves that we know aren't true, but we think people like the projected image of ourselves rather than who we are. Um, yeah. So mm, yeah. it's, it's a function of, of, of a number of, of those things would be the, um, yeah, but a lot of it has to do with relationships, work, and technology. I'm trying to think. I think those are the big three. No, I mean that sounds that sounds right. And I think most people listening can recognize immediately the plausibility of all of those. But I you know what that makes me think of is in the 1990s, there was a great deal of work being done on the changing face of marriage in the United States. And this is fresh on my mind because Tim Keller also preached a number of different sermons with his wife, Kathy Keller, on marriage and drew on a lot of this research. And some of this was done by legal scholars who were interested in the changing 
not just terminology, but the idea of what marriage was for. So when it, it goes from being something that's a sacred, solemn covenant between two people, and that's very much focused on, you know, the betterment of not not just not just the I don't know what we're, I mean the flourishing of those two, but also the fact that the, you know implicit in the notion is that they are together in a long-term commitment because of deeper bonds than just personal preferences, that together they are better than they would be as separate human beings. And that this is, you know, the purpose of this is also not just intimacy, but procreation and life. How you, you move from that to a way more contractual understanding of marriage, something that, and then the shift it goes from covenant to more of contract. And then there's also a shift from away from that, again, that covenantal aspect is something that's more around personal preference. And so mm-hmm. then suddenly it becomes all about compatibility, which is a very new way of looking at human relationships. And so I don't want to get stuck on the marriage piece because this is applicable also to other relationships. This this applies to friendships as well. So I'm just using that as a stepping stone. So what I'm what I'm trying to say here, Nathan, in a, in a fairly convoluted way, is that we now focus in ways that we haven't in the past on compatibility, and also we have imbibed the notion that we shouldn't have to change. We mm-hmm. shouldn't, and I mean, I see this all the time. In fact, I've I've seen this again in spades because it's the, it's a new year. So you see a lot of New Year messages of, well, this year I'm I'm going to protect my energy. I'm not changing who I am for anybody. I've I've seen this this anecdote many many times. Really, I'm not going to wow. change for anybody. Yeah, no, I have, and often on social media, right? So I mean, people aren't saying this to me, you know, <laughs> at a cocktail party. Or, I don't go to cocktail parties, but you know, if I did, they probably wouldn't say this to me. But you know. They're not saying this to me at the grocery store, but I do. I'm seeing this on social media a lot. I'm going to protect my energy. I know you can get a chuckle out of that. I'm. I'm not. You know. I'm not changing who I am for anybody. I'm not adapting my personality. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let anybody tell me I'm too much anymore. That's another one I see a lot. So, you know the. But the idea that I I get to be. I said this years ago on the Vital Signs podcast. I called this this. There's a certain mindset. Now, granted, let me just. I don't want to die the death of a thousand qualifications, but there are times where it's good to set boundaries with people, and there are times where if somebody wants you to completely alter who you are, that's not a good thing. It's unhealthy, sure. But if you're not careful, you enter into this mindset that I just I call for lack of a better phrase, me without compromise. I'll be who I am, and if you don't like it, take a hike. And you, so you could see the collapse of relationships like that. Toxic language. You, you've seen the toxic language, Nathan. Well, this, they're, they're toxic people. This is, now I want to tread carefully because again, there's a lot of complexity here with relationships with people that do, you know, there are serious issues, but you know, you say this is a toxic person, so I'm going to cut them out of my life. Well, if this is the, I'm just highlighting what I think is a salient factor in loneliness right now. If you're going to be you without compromise, you shouldn't have to change at all. If you have a biblical anthropology, it doesn't make any sense because you're a sinner, they're a sinner, whether this is your spouse, your friend, your family member, your coworker, you know, you will have to change 
they will have to change. And also you will change. You do, a person does change over the years, you know? So I think those are all, that's, that's another big factor in the outworking of loneliness today. So we, we kind of hit the, the easy three, the career technology and relationship stuff. But if we bore, bore down a little bit more into the relationship aspect of this, um, we talked, I think we talked about this a couple months ago and I, I can't remember where it was. I think it was Mongolians have the highest degree of relational satisfaction. So we're talking about people who are herdsmen okay. in yurts, but they live in multi-generational mm -hmm. yurts basically. Um, and so mm -hmm. there, there's a sense in which, you know, back to your thing with the colors and marriage is that often in the past, people also got married in order to survive. So there's, right. there's a certain, yeah. there's a certain level of affluency that you have to reach before you can self-isolate to the point that you can get lonely. So let me just be mm -hmm. clear on what I'm yeah. saying here. It's It would have been very, very hard 100 years ago to be a single individual who can provide for all, you know, work hard enough for all of your own room and board and entertainment, yada, 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 fill in the blank there. Um, and then to add in a family to that. And also, okay, you can't also... <laughs> factor we also probably just have to be straight up and say um birth control is an influence in here as well i mean the the number is oh, it now 50 yeah. 50 of people under 30 or 50 percent of women who are 30 don't have kids right now which I, so mm -hmm. i think just slightly over 50 percent. so that's totally new in in history as well so i would imagine there would be some pretty deep connections there on how we think about relationships and family that that play into that um also, just a total breakdown in the concept of shared meaning. You know, that's the old like Aristotle to Augustine kind of thing. In order to have friendship, you have to have common purpose. And so if you're mm -hmm. not, if you don't have common purpose with somebody who is geographically proximate to you, it's going to feel diff be difficult, I think, not to feel lonely. Um, but yeah, almost almost the sense of, you know, the, the famous old, the, the classic Jeremiah Johnson just goes out there in the wilderness by himself and he's happy. Um, that's pretty rare in human history, but we're almost with our technology now able to live sort of that in our own wilderness of um, strangers, a very isolated um, existence. So in some ways it's our lack of dependency on other people that makes us lonely, yeah, yeah. which is, I guess it's not counterintuitive. It's kind of obvious, but we probably don't think about it when we're pursuing self-sufficiency. Well, it's, it's a luxury that turns out to that comes back to bite us because mm -hmm. on the one hand yeah we we don't live in these you mentioned an institute like marriage yeah not only was it covenantal but it was just a pretty much a necessity for many people particularly for women at a certain point in history and now it's viewed as once again it's another option and increasingly if we don't we don't have these direct relationships of dependency that we can that we can see and of course there's a deeper sense in which whether we acknowledge it or not we all do need each other and that's part of the problem but you know just to just to survive and just you know to lead a life with a with a sufficient income and entertainment and all of that yes you really don't need you don't you don't depend on people the same way you did in the past especially in a i mean even think about where you are in your neighborhood it's perfect i mean I, we draw attention to this fact all the time it's perfectly possible to live in a neighborhood where you know almost nobody or you know nobody at all. You know, I know I remember sociologists 
like to make a big deal out of things that we that you know we often don't notice or don't think is that are that significant. But I remember, I think it was, I think it was bowling alone. Isn't that the title of the book? It's a very. This is yeah, a very Putnam. Very, <clears throat> yes, Putnam. I think Putnam has a whole section, if I'm remembering correctly, on the disappearance of the front porch and the emergence of the back deck on a house. Because that's a that's actually a fundamental shift in social dynamics. Because the porch was, I mean, this was a, a kind of, it was a sort of, it was a meeting and greeting place. It was a sort of commons. You would talk to your neighbors. People would stop by, depending on where you lived. People, I mean, you will still find places where this this is done. You know, you'll see people, they will, they will you know, climb up onto your porch. You'll give them some, you know, some sweet tea. You guys will sit together. But this was now the back deck means, no, this is your private space. This is your backyard. So people don't bother you back here. And mm-hmm. it's a more private vision. It's way more in line with, and of course, they, they make the homes that they make today usually, I mean, front porches aren't as emphasized. I do have a house with a front porch, which was a big deal to me when we were looking for a, <laughs> for a house. But most of the homes here in my area do, it's, it's all back decks. So that's a, I mean, just a picture of the shifting social dynamics in our world today. There, I mean, there are the artifacts of loneliness are all, are all around us. We just don't think of them that way usually. You know, another f- one in there that's a form of technology, <clears throat> my grandpa pointed this out to me, was that he said that um, financial credit also was a contributor to the breakdown of community. So when he was a kid, every farmer, they all collectively owned machinery and would travel around to everybody's farm at harvest time to harvest everybody's crops. Everybody ate meals in the other person's house. But then once credit became a possible thing, then everybody borrowed the money to buy their own machine and just paid, you know, made the payments on it. Mm-hmm. And so he saw that as a, so there are all these little things that I think, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, borrowing thing is good or bad or having a back deck is good or bad. It's just wild to think about when you start looking at it, all the things that have happened in our culture over the last however many decades and then okay so i think we've i think we've hammered the point home that loneliness is a real thing we could point to multiple examples of that and i think you know if we wanted to do a whole nother podcast we could um talk about times in our own lives where we've felt lonely everybody's had this experience i think all right switch directions with me here a second so uh nobody can figure it out what is a what are some possible solutions and b more specifically what does the church uniquely have to say toward this? Because I mean, I mean, every, everybody's church talks about community. So are we talking about community and we're just really bad at it or what gives? Well, the uncomfortable truth is we're going to have to, and my, my pastor who's, who's a listener. So hello, pastor Scott. He, he, re- he preached a riveting sermon actually on drawing from acts on community in, in the early church just last Sunday. So th- some of this is fresh on my mind here. The uncomfortable fact is that we, you've got to come to a place where you recognize you need to change you, and you have to be willing to compromise. So this is before we even get to church, Nathan, just in order for any relationship to survive. I mean, and I'm not just, again, this is not limited to marriage. This is any relationship. If you, if you, have a friend. A lot of people, I think, community can be very rich when you're in your 20s and 30s. But then as you start to get older, 
it becomes more difficult. So what happens? Do you suddenly just age out and become irrelevant and annoying? Well, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe. Marriage. No, it becomes... Yeah, some, some of us maybe. It becomes... It, it gets to be more work. Now, I'm going to speak from my own experience as a, as a... So I am a Christian and I, I am married and I do have children. So when that happens... Your time, of course, becomes more scarce. Nathan, you know this as well. I mean, you you've <laughs> you just get you get very busy. Your household gets a whole lot more chaotic. And so getting together with others takes it's it's absolutely possible. Like one of my neighbors once pointed out to me, he goes, Oh, you know, people say you have kids, you can't do anything anymore. That's not true. You could do absolutely everything that you did before. It's just way, way, way harder now. <laughs> and that's true. So you you can still have friendships, get together with people and spend time together, learn together, but it requires more and more intentionality. It, requ it requires more mm -hmm. planning and it requires, it requires a, a very clear commitment to do so. Now, if you have that commitment and you, and you make the plans, you can see it through, but it's going to take more work, but you're also going to start running into very serious, you know, Maybe you have a different philosophy of parenting than some people around you. And again, I'm I'm wary of restricting this just to to marriages. But I mean, if you go deeper with a friendship, even you are going to start to run into potential points of conflict. And part of it, the problem is you're just you're going to screw up. You're going to wrong the person. The person's going to wrong you, well, and you okay. have to either work through <clears throat> it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So well, that's so where I'm, I'm going here with this initial yeah, well, step. We have a mutual friend I was talking to who lives in Austin, Texas. And he said, everything's so polarized right now that nobody talks about anything serious in public because right. everything could be a landmine. So he said, you're never going to make any friends. Yeah, you might lose your friendship here. <laughs> you can't, you yeah. can't talk about anything at depth because you're guaranteed to offend at least half of the people sitting at the lunch table. So yep, that's part of it. But I, I got stuck it's, on this thing bec yeah. because I started looking at, um, well, particularly in Paul. I mean, so there's a lot of, Jesus talks a lot of coming and inviting and following me and all of that. But a good bit of um, Paul, I was thinking specifically here, um, looking at Romans 1, 6, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So this idea of, you know, this is very popular in church planning and church theory of like believing and belonging. Um, do you feel like you belong first and then you believe, or do you believe and then you feel like you belong and all that? So belonging is one of the, maybe the, the, if we had to put an opposite to, to loneliness here, what does it mean to belong to something and to be committed to it? That the New Testament speaks heavily in belonging to a people type language as it moves forward. So there is, as you were saying, Acts, there's a huge emphasis on that as well. But even in the, not just the lived experience of the early church, but in a broader theology of what's going on in the New Testament, this idea of, um, Jesus redeeming for himself a people who are his very own eager to do what is good. That part of the goal of what Christ is up to is to establish a, a people that we would belong to. That's a pretty great vision. The problem being that I have to sacrifice and lay down all my ambition to join it. And so, and so yeah. this is the, this is the catch 20. No, I'm not, it's not a catch 22. This is the sacrifice of saying, whoever mm -hmm. wants to come fo follow me must leave his father and mother and sister and brother and, you know, land and all this and mm -hmm. if he wants to be my disciple so jesus does give us an invitation of belonging but it's an extremely high cost and right. so that's I, I think that's the challenge of our time is that you can't there are there are ways to not be lonely 
but all of those ways to not be lonely have a very high cost to them. Well, they have the the shape of taking up one's cross and self-sacrifice. Now, the truth is, though, if you lead a life of, we, we tend to, th- those are, you know, th- that sounds very grave. Take up your cross and follow me, you know, and live a self-sacrificial life. But the truth is, so it is, I mean, there's a gravity to it. It's very serious. I mean, this, there's, the reason, there's a reason that Jesus seems to be sometimes trying to talk people out of following him <laughs> when he tells them to count the cost. But there's another side to that as well. And that is, if you don't live a life of self-sacrifice, you live a life instead of self-indulgence, you will be an incredibly lonely, chronically lonely person handling all of this on your own. The way of, if you live a life of self-giving, and by the way, there's massive corroboration on this outside of scripture, of course, too. All of the great, you know, sages outside the church. I mean, I think it was even, isn't, there's that one line from the Beatles, the there's a line from the Beatles that's along that sounds like this as well. But basically, the more you give away, the more you get. I mean, that's understood. And yet, our whole habits of life are running the opposite direction right now. But yeah, if you're when we come to the church, some of the the easy antidotes to loneliness are the practice first and foremost of hospitality. This is we heard mm-hmm. a lot about this last Sunday. It's well, I mean, and my pastor pointed out that it's this is actually something that is a, a requirement of people who are leaders in the church. This is this is one of their credentials is that they are known as people who are hospitable. And so, yeah, that that involves the annoying habit of inviting people into your home, some of whom are not super close friends or some, you know, and having them over and having those awkward conversations and also belonging. Nathan brings us back into the territory when we talk about people in our church, our, our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, this runs, this is massively countercultural too, because we've talked about this before too. Huge message in popular culture, at least. I mean, all the Thanksgiving episodes, I bring this up quite a bit of sitcoms and, and so forth. The the message, the theme, the moral, the moral of the story is always my friends are my real family because my, my real family let me down. And I didn't choose them, but you guys, I chose you and you're my real family. Well, sorry. And I mean, the way, the way family is looked at as destiny in a lot of ancient literature as well. And it explores all sorts of amazing conflicts and complexities that arise from that. But also, yeah. So if you're, you belong to a local congregation, you belong to these people and they belong to you. And that means there are bonds of obligation there. Whether you you want to be associated with them or not, that's also what Nathan. I'm sensitive to a lot of the murmurings. It's 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 good to well, yeah, no, a lot of the murmurings in in evangelical culture, in particular, of well, yeah, I am a Christian, but I'm I'm not like those other Christians. We you got to be careful about that. Yeah, so I don't I'm, know if I'm it's trying... clear what I'm getting at there. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it it is. So you have to, um, you know, and I've been doing a lot of thinking and speaking about the need for community as far as our personal identity goes. And so I think a crisis of identity also sets up um, a lot of pitfalls for loneliness that, you know, if you think about like um, Russian dolls stacked 
We've talked about this before. And you think about the little one at the middle as you as the individual. So I have a first name. My name is Nathan. And then the next ring out is your family name. Traditionally, people were individuals within families and those families were within communities and those communities were within geographies and those geographies operated under a similar theological vision of the way that the world worked. And so you have a theological community, you have a geographical community, you have a, a subculture within that geography, and then you have a family, and then you have you at the middle of that. And so there is a sense in which we have we have now prioritized the individual as the biggest piece, and it no longer fits within a theology or a geography or a community or a family. And so I, I think there's a, a, a real sense of isolation that comes from stripping away all of the layers of external meaning and relationship and being left with just ourselves. There's that. That's an easy case to make. I do want to come back around to, to I think, a, a more difficult level of this. And so if I think like of the questions that people write into thinking out loud that trouble me that I don't know how to answer, um, it is the, the the guy who says, look, you know, I'm, um, I'm going to make this kind of general, but piece together some stuff here. And so it can't be pinned on anybody. Like so somebody says, look, I'm 32 years old. Um, I'm not married. I have a great church. I have a great job. Um, I'm involved in a couple after church activities. Um, but I also get home and it's 7.30 in the evening and it's just me. Um, mm -hmm. I have friends. I have church. I have job. You know, I have a good relationship with my parents. Maybe they live in a different city. But what am I supposed to do with my life from 7.30 to bedtime? That that's so that's one that's hard for me on a number. I mean, you know, we don't know all the details and all these situations and stories, but there are, I think for you, for me, Cameron, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're up to our eyeballs in, in busyness and we're like, oh man, you know, it'd be wonderful is like an hour to sit by myself with a blank sheet of paper, um, and just dream and pencil, <laughs> sure. um, and write. But there are a lot of people who do have that time in their life who are trying mm -hmm. to figure out what does it mean for me to be content in this season or phase of my life? Um, or the, yeah. I, I mean, I can think of a whole nother category of people um, that don't fit as neatly within our listership, but people that we all know very well who um, you're 65 years old and your spouse dies and your kids all live in different cities or maybe you didn't have kids um, and you're great at crocheting, but you do that by yep. yourself and yeah. the cat is nice, but you'd like a little contact with a friend to check in on you from time to time. I mean, these are what, what I don't want us to be doing is sounding like, well, if you're lonely, it's your own fault. I, right. I think there are structural things in our culture that, that make it more probable for that to be true in our time. And I think there are a lot of reasons in which a lot of people are lonely and it is their own fault. But that's not to say that if you're experiencing loneliness, that it is your own fault. It might just be sort of the, warp of the weirdness of the world that we live in right now. And it might legitimately be somebody else's fault that you are lonely. There are people who are actually abandoned right. in this yeah. world or people who don't call their mother or, um, you know, mm -hmm. fill in the blank there. So I think in that category, then we can say, okay, what is, what is my, if I am feeling lonely, am I fulfilling the relational obligations that I have as a Christian to the culture and the community around me under the banner of belonging to Christ? And then if you aren't experiencing that and you're like, you know what? I've got about a, I've got a whole lot of anti-loneliness going on in my life. I think the challenge becomes, okay, but can you develop a sensitivity and a radar for finding who the lonely are and inviting them into your home 
or figuring out the things that make them tick, the notes of encouragement, the phone calls, the checking, the mm -hmm. acts of service. How do you see people who are by themselves and and help them see that they're loved and known and that they do belong and have? Um, I think there's a lot of loneliness that comes from a lack of um, confidence where there are people who are good at stuff, but they're like, sure. oh, you know, I just don't know if I could go help with that project at church or whatever. Um, so I think there's a role for churches to call out gifts and skills in people and, and help them see what they could be doing. That would be helpful. Um, so all, all this to say, I think there's a, you know, if you're involved in a church and you're part of the leadership, or even if you're not, but you're just serious about your faith, this idea of um, there's, there are even promises of this in the prophets of, of God taking the lonely and placing them in families, that there is a, a mm. forward leaning aspect to this idea of, of, of not just practicing hospitality in the sense of inviting people over for lunch on Sunday, but of thinking about how to help somebody feel included in the broader community is really a real gift. Um, and something like Cameron was saying earlier, it actually isn't optional for us, biblically speaking. It's something we need to be watching for actively. And I think Jesus did a phenomenal job of that and modeled that for us. So, um, yeah, two parts there. If you're lonely, that doesn't mean it's your fault. And B, if you're not, look for ways to include those who you know are. That's well said. And also cultivating a sensitivity for seeing those, for seeing people who need that help. And also, if you find yourself in a place like that, praying toward the courage to ask for help too. I think that's a tough, oh, that's a tough one mm -hmm. as well, especially if you find yourself in that place. Yeah, and there aren't immediate solu solutions to much of what you've just outlined, Nathan. I mean, our our cultural context is a challenging one. Mm -hmm. And loneliness is widespread for a number of we've we've, you know, we've scratched the surface here, but there are so many different subtle factors at work. But what we can do in our churches is be in prayer about this issue because it is it's such a serious issue. I mean, if if you can if you can make a joke about getting a guaranteed academic grant to do loneliness studies, something's deeply, deeply wrong. Well, you know, if we're if so, we're at that on. kind of a place. Yeah. So what you're saying there is important, Cameron, because I can we say this, and we'll say this and then you help me decide if I would say that as a Christian, we can say loneliness is morally wrong because humans are fundamentally built for relationship, not only with our Lord, but also with each other. So there, there's a sense there that it's it's more than just inconvenient and it's more than just a cultural thing. It's a it's an indictment on all of us collectively um, yeah. and says something significant about our culture. So if you're experiencing loneliness, the reason that that feels bad to and, you is because it is. Right. And one more thing as we conclude here, just to, I guess, open up the just to leave nobody excluded from the party, we're also aware that there are plenty of people who are married and who have children and who, or, you know, who are in very busy households who are terribly lonely and feel isolated from their spouse or alienated from their families or feel so alone and unheard. And again, it's part of, there aren't easy, fast, quick answers to this, but part of a good a very good start is to begin with prayer to the Lord to give courage to address that because that's that's an uncomfortable thing to address. I mean, imagine having to tell your significant other, I'm terribly, terribly lonely. I know we're together. 
but I feel completely overlooked. I feel alone. This is so many people. Well, yeah, if you we listen to videos of this, you'll hear people say, you know, my wife comes home from work. We're both super tired. I'd love to talk to her, but we're both too tired. So we don't. And I feel lonely. Right. I mean, that's a very, that's a very, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's the world we live in. Um, but I would say, Cameron, world do, you we think, live in. Yeah. do you think that, so say you're listening to this and you're feeling lonely. I think the first step there might be tell somebody that. And you might say, yeah. well, that'll sound silly if I do. I guarantee you nobody will A, be surprised or B, not have empathy or an understanding of where you're coming from on that. So it's kind of like it, it, absolutely. it, it, it yeah. there's, there's like a vortex I've seen here with people who feel lonely. And so the thing that they do in response to their loneliness is to continue to withdraw from community. And, yeah, because they're embarrassed by it. Yeah. yeah, you're embarrassed by it. And so it's 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 odd that I think that is one of the insidious things about loneliness is that it yeah. actively causes you to withdraw from the solution and the things that you need in your life. And I, I can't do that for you other than just to encourage you verbally at this moment. Absolutely. Um, no, name it and talk to people about it. I also want to point out, not to get too mystical or anything like that, but I mean, we are Christians. There are, we believe that there are, you know, there are spiritual powers at work. There's a demonic factor to loneliness as well. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me a very convenient lie from the enemy. If you're feeling horribly lonely and you're, you're actually in to the point where you're, you're in pain, you're in very real pain because of it. It seems to me that a, a very convenient lie from the enemy would be, yeah. Um, if you share that with people though, gosh, this is going to completely change the way they look at you. They're going to look, I mean, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to think, how pathetic is that? See, that people will not think that, by the way. This is such an epidemic. I mean, you will be met, Nathan's right, you'll be met with empathy and understanding. But let's let's be aware of that as well. I think loneliness, it serves the evil one well to have us lonely and isolated and to, see, to have that be a self-perpetuating condition. So part of it is just admitting it out loud, praying to the Lord for courage to ask for help, and then talk, talking to others about it, honestly. Mm. Yep. And then go send a note, text, or email to somebody who you think might be lonely after you get Absolutely. done listening to this episode. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.